Hi there, this is Brian Barnett with The Last Symptom. When I started The Last Symptom, I never in a million years imagined it would grow as it has. In these early shows especially, audio quality was often iffy, and there were references to services or online groups that are outdated and no longer in use. Great improvements have been made. Where should you go for all of the most up-to-date resources that I offer? TheLastSymptom.com is my permanent website full of free resources where everything is always up to date and that I encourage you to refer back to often. There are also a few modest paid resources at TheLastSymptom.com. These support my efforts and have allowed The Last Symptom to exist for as long as it has. These include one-on-one phone conversations with me one-on-one Zoom video calls with me, and perhaps most importantly, the Last Symptom Fundamentals course, which is a two-week, intensive, pre-recorded online video course that is far superior to things like DBT. The Last Symptom has a flourishing YouTube and Rumble channel where I publish regular orange slices, which are condensed video insights of five or ten minutes in length. If you're just now discovering the last symptom, welcome. I hope you will find every insight and resource you need here for authentic and permanent recovery from emotional disorders such as borderline personality disorder. Now on to the show. Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental health nor emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he has gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as they individually and personally choose while accepting full responsibility for their own individual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you are acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Happy Thursday, everybody. I'm Brian Barnett. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. You might going to hear my uh, my cat meowing in the background. Walden, the, the newbie. That is because he's not fixed yet. And I think I got a bunch of cats around my house both female and in heat. So it's kind of driving him nutsos. I got an appointment to get him all fixed and taken care of, but uh, until that time, he's uh, he's walking around the house uh, suffering, suffering. He's uh, all these pussy cats out there driving him bonkers. Yeah, they can hear, I'm sure they can hear that. Poor guy. <laughs> They're all out there driving him crazy. And of course, you know, if I'd let him out, he'd rock the town and then you know what they'd say they'd say oh he only wanted me for my body he doesn't care about my feelings he's only after one thing hey uh yeah don't don't mess with hey don't mess with that walden that's a fuel canister it's a backpacking fuel canister hey 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 leave that alone hop down there hop down there all righty it's trying to blow us all up can you Chill it a little bit, buddy. Go downstairs and hang out by the window there. The girls are all down there. 
Where were we before I was so rudely interrupted by Horny Cat here? Now, I told my daughter, Eloise, to do something the other day. And she sternly exclaimed, No quiero. I don't want to. I thought the experience of how I handled that situation might be useful to some people who wonder how I apply the principles I talk about so much to real, everyday life. In normal, practical situations. No quiero. I don't want to, she said. So what I did was, I sat down and I took her in my hands. And I looked her square in the eye. Kindly. But seriously. And I told her this. You can say, I don't want to. Since this is simply you expressing your feelings, you can say, I don't want to. Papa doesn't have a right to take that away from you. I don't have a right to take that away from you. You have the right to express what you want or don't want or what you do or do not agree with. All right? Well, she agreed. Then I said, what you don't have a right to do is disobey me. So, you can express how you feel about it. You can express how you feel about it all you like. And I will not get upset. As long as you don't use how you feel as an excuse to disobey me. So express yourself. Feel however you will feel about it. And then do the thing I instructed you to do. How do you reckon that went over? Well, you'd be surprised. It went over really well. She did the thing I wanted her to do, and she actually skipped away happily to do it. So maybe this week you can think about some of the reasons why this diffused her anger so quickly while at the same time getting me the willing obedience I hope for from her. Imagine yourself as four or five years old again and the freedom, dignity, and respect you would have felt if your own parents had recognized that they have no jurisdiction over your feelings. If they had been able to distinguish between your feelings and your actions. I know that the reality is, was not that for you. Because that wasn't the reality for me either. If I expressed a opposing feeling... It didn't matter what I did. It didn't matter if I obeyed or if I went ahead and did the thing I was being told to do. If I had expressed my feeling, my genuine feelings on the matter, I would have gotten clobbered. I would have gotten clobbered. I did not have that freedom. 
to express myself, to express my feelings. So did you recognize that when, when I first read that? Did you recognize that that was just my daughter expressing her feelings? Take some insight to pick up on those things. Because an insecure father or an insecure parent could very easily hear, Yo no quiero. I don't want to. And see that as a rebellion. See that as an affront to parental authority. But is it? Not really, it's not. Because she's still going to do the thing I, I tell her to do, one way or another. So does it hurt me to hear how she feels about being told to do that thing? It doesn't at all. The insight to be able to distinguish between somebody expressing a mere feeling as opposed to them outright challenging you are two different things. So parents, just spend the week thinking about that. Think about, I, well, I wish you could have seen it. I called her over. I took her in my hands. I had a shoulder in each hand. I was talking to her very seriously, but friendly. And I said, you, you can feel however you want to feel about it, as long as you go ahead and do what I told you to do. As long as you don't use it as an excuse to disobey me, you can express to me your real feelings. Dad wants to hear your real feelings. You, you see how that opens, how that opened her up? What's going on in, through her mind? Probably not consciously since she's only about four. She's on the verge of four. So what's going on through her mind? Well, subconsciously what's going through her mind is, hmm, my feelings matter. My feelings matter. And I have every right in the world to express them at any time. Now do you see how doing the thing that I, I told her to do is not a, it does not seem like a punishment. It doesn't seem like I'm hating her or, uh, or not acknowledging her feelings. So imagine yourself at four or five years old again. And imagine if your own parents had given you that dignity and respect how that would have entirely changed your perspective of the world growing up. Your, uh, your understanding of your own sense of value, the value of your feelings, and the value of you, yourself, as an individual. Just something to think about. All righty. <clears throat> now, next thing. Let's imagine that tonight, while I'm in my coma, trying to catch up on all my sleep deficit, that a spaceship from another world flies down, and it, uh, it hovers right outside my window. And out of the spaceship comes a tractor beam. Comes through my window. Shines into my room. And it lifts me up into the air. I'm now hovering above my bed. And this tractor beam pulls me into the alien spaceship. And then the spaceship flies away. With me in it. 
and you never hear from me again. Let's imagine I become a, a beloved pet to a family of Martians. They walk me around on a leash. But, but they treat me real good. Three square meals a day. They never have me neutered. They let me out at night. I can roam around and mate with the other earth women that are being kept on the planet as, as pets. If this were to happen, what main points would I hope to leave you with to give you the best chance of continuing to heal from borderline personality disorder on your own? There are going to be times when you feel like you're making no progress, but you are making progress. Whether you can, whether you can perceive the progress or not, you are making progress because every day that you're thinking about these things and working on these things, you're, you're further advanced than you were yesterday and the day before that, whether you can perceive it or not. You know, and, I, and I, in the past I've talked about it like a diet. You know, a person who starts a diet, for the first three months, you, you barely notice anything at all different. If you walk, you know, the thing about a diet is, you go, wow, I've lost so much weight. My clothes are fitting different. I get up on the scale, and the scale's, you know, 15 pounds lighter. But then you go out, and you walk among your friends, and nobody notices. <laughs> you, you see that? Nobody notices. They're not going to notice for, for at least three months. So it takes some stick to some faith that the changes are happening. The progress is happening, whether you can perceive it or not. You know, I would say that to you. Don't, for a second, get discouraged. Because that's a discouragement is a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, it's just like uh, the, uh, the professional psychologists who say, oh, no, 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 borderline personality disorder, that's... That's something you're going to be dealing with the rest of your life, probably. As soon as they say that, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're paying them, you're paying them two hundred dollars an hour for them to tell you you're never going to be better. You're always going to be struggling with this thing, which is a total lie. But in them telling you that, with the certificates framed on the wall behind them, that's what you limit yourself to. What they tell you becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Their lies become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So just remember that any setbacks you have, well, I don't want to call them setbacks because you don't really go back. You don't really go backward when you fall. When, when, you, when you come to a spot where you, uh, in your recovery where you stumble, you don't go backward. Because what is the... What is the uh, Cure to borderline personality disorder? Education. Do you ever know less now than you knew yesterday? <laughs> no, you don't. So there is no going backward. You can stumble and fall and stay there. And a lot of people do that. But there's no going backward. So I, I don't like to say backward steps or, or steps backward. 
because that's not really the reality. What 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 happens? Uh, discouragement can anchor you in place, but you you never know less today than you knew yesterday. I mean, as long as you're doing the minimal amount of effort, you never lo- you never know less today than you knew yesterday. And education and insight are the cures to borderline personality disorder. All right, so I've gotten a little windy because I'm uh, so sleep-deprived, but you get the idea. Remember that for me, that in my personal circumstances, I only spend a total of three weeks with the guy who finally pointed me in the right direction, the guy who finally gave me deep insights. That's it, a total of three weeks. And I'm not talking about 21 days. All right, we had weekends off, and I only saw him like twice, or maybe maybe on one or two weeks I saw him three times through the week. It was an intensive, it was an outpatient intensive program. So I, you know, I was there from like seven to seven, and I was only scheduled with him for like an hour every couple of days. Saying that I was with this guy for three weeks is really overstating it. You know, if you want to break it down, and I I haven't, I was probably with him for a total of five or six days. Five or six days. So the guy that I was finally with, who finally gave me, who finally pointed me in the right direction, gave me deep insights before I then went off on my own and never spoke to him again, I was probably only with him for five or six days. That's, that's five or six hours. Imagine that. A disorder I had lived with for my entire life. For my entire life. thirty. At that point, it was 37 years. Because at that point, I'd spent two years with my personal therapist, who was um, how do I say this without cursing? She, she was uh, you know, I, I just I wish I could say her name. And uh, save everybody from from being suckered in by her her great con. But I, I'll tell you where she worked. <laughs> worked in Newtown, Pennsylvania. And I was with her for two years. She didn't do a thing for me. Didn't educate me. Didn't give me any information. Never diagnosed me correctly. So at, let's say at 37, all my life I'd been living with this thing. And then I met this guy. And I spent six hours with him on six separate days. And that was enough for me to then go on my own with just the few insights he'd given me. And already I had plenty to work with in order to do the rest of the work on my own to get to where I am today. So if this were the last time that uh, I knew that you and I would speak. Here are the things I would give you to take away with you and to spend your time chewing over and keeping in mind in the coming years while I was off on Mars being lovingly uh, treated as a pet by the Martians. Number one, always be conscious of and regularly observe how the two distorted core beliefs of borderline personality disorder translate into your thoughts, 
feelings, and behaviors. What are the two distorted core beliefs of borderline personality disorder for, for newbies? They are, my feelings are inherently irrelevant, shameful, devoid of worth. And if my feelings are irrelevant, shameful, devoid of worth, then I myself must be inherently irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth because my feelings are me. So work to see the strings between you and the marionette control paddle. The marionette control paddle are the distorted core beliefs. So trace your thoughts, feelings, behaviors back to the distorted core beliefs. Make this a habit. What you can see, you can control. But what happens hidden to you, you can't control that. That's ignorance. Ignorance or denial. Anything you're ignorant or in denial about, you, you have no control over. It controls you. So that's something to think about. I hope you can see the reality of that. What you can't see, you can't control. But what you can see, you can control. You can, you can control it while it's happening. You can control it before it happens. Number two, the two distorted core beliefs of borderline personality disorder are just shame. Defined. That's something I threw on you on the last uh, episode of the podcast. Number three, the differences between guilt and shame. I would encourage you to spend much time thinking about that and making those comparisons. Always ask yourself, is this thing I'm feeling, is this emotion I'm feeling making me feel bad about something I've done? Or is it making me feel bad about me, myself? Number four. I would tell you that uh, guilt is always constructive and shame is never constructive. Guilt is always constructive. Shame is never constructive. Easy peasy. All right. Number five. I would remind you of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. Remember, everybody else is the weather to you. And you are the weather to them. You know, it's a, it's a total waste of energy and time and resources to go out and scream at the clouds. Don't do that. Smart person, when they see that a storm's coming, they go and they get an umbrella or a raincoat or they plan a day of activities indoors. So be smart. Individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. Everybody else is the weather. You can't control what they're going to do. They're going to do what they're going to do. The positive to it is that you are the weather to them. They can't control you either, so don't let them. Included in inherent rights, responsibility, and authority is the idea that each person has a, an imaginary circle around them in the sand. And the moment you step outside of that circle and try to enter somebody else's circle in the sand, that's a violation. 
Proverbs, don't do that. Stay within your circle in the sand and recognize where your rights, responsibility, and authority end and work within that. Somebody is having an influence in your life that is unhealthy. You have the power to stop that. Not by changing their behavior, but by looking at your behavior and what you can change. So, for example, your mother is a destructive force in your life. There's no logical, uh, rational sense in allowing a person like that to continue in your life. You know, that should be a priority for you. People who don't enrich my life and make my life happy should not be allowed in my life. Who's going to enforce that? There's no international intergalactic police force that's going to enforce that. It's up to you. And that's where boundaries comes in. So that's where you come in and you say, all right, what falls within my circle in the sand? Well, what falls within my circle in the sand is anything that I do or don't do. Any decision that I make for myself. Do I have to accept text messages from my mother? Well, she's my mother, people say. So, the reality is that it doesn't matter who it is. If they're not contributing to your um, emotional health, they got to go. They got to go. Acceptance comes into this, too. Accepting that just because a person is your blood relative doesn't mean that uh, they're good for you. All right, we'll talk about acceptance here in a second. But that's what I'm talking about. You look at your circle in the sand. What can I do? Well, how can I affect my behavior to enforce the boundaries that I've set for my own emotional health? Because nothing else matters. And literally it doesn't. Because you're breaking a cycle, which has probably gone on for generations. We don't know. We don't know, you know, because we don't have... (laughs) Uh, the records that go back to the six. Uh, I've been in the United States since the 1600s. My 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 kin has been in the United States since the 1600s. Practically come off the Mayflower, went into Virginia, went down into Kentucky, West Virginia, and Ohio, and uh, been there ever since. Got into the mountains, got into the Appalachian Mountains, and we've been there ever since. So when I think back on my um, personal experience. And I think about being the one who's broken this cycle. You know, it might go back. It might go back thousands of years, you know, and that's no exaggeration. So it's no small thing to take a stand and say there are bigger issues at play here than just um, not upsetting mom or not upsetting dad. There will be generations of people who come after me, and I am setting, I'm setting them on a, on a different path. That's certainly how I saw it. All right, number six. I would tell you, feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong. Just like it's not good or bad, right or wrong, that grass is green. Grass just is green. There's no good or bad, right or wrong about it. But our feelings can be a clue that are thinking about something needs adjusted. So, I've talked in the past about how all of your feelings come from thoughts. 
one thing that falls into the category of thought is subconscious beliefs. All right, so these things that you've adopted at three, four years old, these perceptive uh, certainties that you've adopted, those fall into the category of thoughts. And before you feel anything, your observations run through these perceptive filters. And your feelings, then, are created from these things. So, just because your feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong, doesn't mean that your thoughts are never good or bad, right or wrong. Because your thoughts do fall into a category of good or bad, right or wrong. Let's take uh, racist feelings, all right? So you've got racist feelings toward a certain group of people. We can't say that your feelings are bad. But racist feelings should alert us to the fact that our thinking or our perspective is unhealthy. So I'm not giving racists a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's, it's not okay to be racist. My whole point has been that uh, feelings are information. So if you, are, if you catch yourself feeling racist things, you know, racist-flavored feelings toward groups of people, you know, that's a big warning flag. Those feelings are information that, hey, wait a second. What thoughts am I having that are unhealthy that are leading me to have these feelings? Thoughts... Your perception generates feelings in, in each situation. So, racist feelings should alert us that our thinking or our perspective is unhealthy. We can take that information from our feelings and, and make a correction. That's why I say that the, the feelings themselves are not good or bad, right or wrong. <clears throat> because they're just information. They're information that reflect our thinking and our perspective our situation, our attitude towards uh, we ourselves. Number seven, I would leave you with this. Acceptance is imperative to your emotional health. Acceptance is imperative to your emotional health. It means seeing a thing as it really is. It just is what it is. Now, this does not mean that we necessarily agree with or support the thing we're accepting. Acceptance has nothing to do with agreeing with or supporting the thing we're coming to accept. I'll give you an example. When somebody dies, we hate the reality of that, don't we? I've experienced it, have you? We hate the reality. We fight against that reality. When my best friend Jordan died in his car accident in 2005, I, I fought against that reality tooth and nail. I did not want to allow time to go by because I knew it would go by in a flash. And I knew that the faster it went by, the further apart I would be from him. So I fought it. I fought it tooth and nail. Don't, don't let another day go by. But is that healthy? No, there's nothing healthy about that at all. 
what is healthy? What's healthy is that when somebody dies, although we hate the reality and we're allowed to feel any way we feel about it, but in order to eventually move on and be content with life, eventually we have to accept that what is, is. There's absolutely nothing we can do to change it. That's acceptance. It's not necessarily agreeing with or supporting the thing that we accept. We just acknowledge that the reality is what it is. It just is what it is. We acknowledge it. And upon acknowledging it, we're allowed to move on. Number eight, I'd tell you that uh, triggers. Triggers is bullshit. There's no such thing. You're a self-contained machine, and everything you feel, think, and do is what you yourself are generating within yourself. In other words, nothing external has any control over you. That, that's a big one. Because it, when I tell you that, I'm, I'm working against the entire, well, I don't want to say the entire professional community. I'm working against a huge portion of the uh, professional community and uh, what is commonly accepted. I'm working against all that. Number nine, the principal motivating force. It's not the thing we have done or are doing currently, which can be classified as healthy or unhealthy. Rather, it's the force propelling us into that behavior that can be classified as healthy or unhealthy. So, for example, as I've described in the past, you've got two people. They're both spending the same amount of time at the gym doing the same workout. One does it because she believes her worth is dependent on having a great body. Is that healthy or unhealthy? Well, that's undeniably unhealthy. Your, your inherent worth isn't dependent on anything. You were born with it. So her mind, the thing that is provoking her behavior, the hours in the gym, the, the need to have the perfect body in the gym, that's unhealthy. The other person does it because she values her body. She sees her body as something inherently valuable. She wants to take care of it as best she can. That's healthy. So you got two people doing the exact same thing, yet for one, the behavior is a sign of emotional unhealth, and for the other, it's a sign of good emotional health. Sex is the same thing. Sex comes up a lot. All right, so you are going around and you're having lots of sex. Is it because you're unable to generate your own inner sense of self-worth? Well, then that behavior is unhealthy. Or are you doing it because you say, hey, I'm, a, I'm an adult. I'm an adult and I enjoy good sex. But my inner sense of worth is not dependent on having sex. It's just an adult need that I enjoy. The first person is unhealthy. The second person, that behavior is not a sign of any emotional unhealth whatsoever. 
So two people doing the same thing, and yet for one, it's a demonstration of emotional unhealth, and for the other, it's a demonstration of health. That is the principle of motivating force. In the past, I've also used, and I'm not encouraging uh, marital affairs, but because for one, that can be physically dangerous. It can get you shot. But um, but I got to be honest with you that uh, having a marital affair in and of itself is not a demonstration of emotional unhealth. The the act itself is irrelevant. What's relevant is the motivating force behind it. What's what's prompting the person to behave that way? All right. So there are healthy people who choose to have affairs, and there's nothing uh, inherently emotionally unhealthy about that kind of behavior. It's the motivating force behind it. And usually it's got to do with people who can't generate their own sense of uh, inner self-worth. So that is the principle of motivating force. Number 10, our mistakes don't define our character. You know, you're beating yourself up about all this stuff you've done in the past. Well, uh, you probably don't have to do that. Our character is defined by two things in combination. One, genuine willingness to make self-examinations. Two, demonstrations of genuine remorse. Notice I'm not just saying genuine remorse. I'm saying demonstrations of genuine remorse. This is what sets people apart. Are we willing to genuinely and honestly evaluate ourselves. There, you know, there are a lot of people who are not, who do not have that willingness. My, my father's one of them. There's a, there's a quote in um, the, the book, in the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov. And the quote goes like this. Scientist Hardin makes this quote within the novel. He says, never let your sense of morals prevent you from doing what's right. Isn't that great? Never let your sense of morals prevent you from doing what's right. Now, my father, on the surface, is a very uh, moral man. He's a very good man. But he's so confident in this that he's blind to what he's not doing, that he should be doing. So this is what sets people apart. Are we willing to genuinely and honestly evaluate ourselves? Or are we blinded by the way we think of ourselves? And if we are genuinely and honestly able to evaluate ourselves, when we find flaws, are we then willing to make demonstrations of genuine remorse? You know, working to recover from an emotional disorder in itself can be a genuine demonstration of remorse for the way we've treated others in the past. Because a change in our behaviors that is genuinely working to understand and fix our emotional disorder can be a clear demonstration that we recognize that there's a problem with our way of doing things and that we're truly doing whatever we can to identify the real problem, fix it, and change. Number 11, what I just described, that genuine willingness to honestly evaluate ourselves 
and then demonstrate genuine remorse, these things create a perfectly sufficient groundwork for us to then forgive ourselves and let go of past guilt. So in the last episode, we talked about the differences between guilt and shame. All right, let's say that you're carrying around legitimate guilt. It's possible. Your efforts toward recovery probably, probably, are already the legitimate groundwork for moving ahead with that guilt no longer on your shoulders. Even though, even though you might still have plenty of work left to do, that work that you've got left to do is irrelevant based on what you're already doing. You're already demonstrating genuine remorse. So there are no perfect people anywhere in the world. Anywhere. There are no perfect people. There is only everybody making stupid mistakes and falling short of the ideal all the time. Everybody you're surrounded by, everybody is making stupid mistakes, hurting other people, and falling short of the ideal all the time. So, if this is true, what is the legitimate basis for forgiving ourselves and being happy anyway, despite this reality? What's the only thing that sets good people apart from bad people? Well, I've already told you. Sincere willingness to make self-evaluations plus demonstrations of genuine remorse. If I were going to be sucked away to another planet, that's what I'd leave you with. I'm not going anywhere, folks, I, I hope. I mean, I could be hit by a meteor tomorrow, I reckon, but I'm not planning on it. But that's all for today's episode, my friends. Be understanding and patient with yourselves. In fact, be nicer to yourself than anybody else will. Take me, for example. Right now, I'm going to go collapse on the nearest soft surface, and I'll probably stay there until I have to get up to pee, which could be hours and hours from now. And you know what? I'm not going to feel bad about any of it at all. This is Brian Barnett signing off. Have a great week, everybody. As always, thanks for listening.